And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 250 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. Holy shit. 250! Wow! <laughs> uh, Jin had every intention and hope of joining us today and got caught up on a bunch of stuff. And then her computer decided to implode. Yes. Uh, so while she deals with an error screen that has had two minutes and something seconds left on it for the last 20 minutes, uh, she has told us to to go on without her, unfortunately. To press onward, yes. Yes. Uh, the show must go on. Indeed. And uh, this week is jam-packed. Yeah, there's a lot. But first we have a very important announcement. We do. We are joining a podcast network. Have joined, in fact. Uh, the Certain POV Network. Uh, this is where my uh, one of my other podcasts, the Rob Thomas, no, not that one, Robcast, has been since the middle of last year. Uh, guest host Meg's Judging Book Covers also recently joined the network. Uh, and there are a bunch of other fun, I'd say generally nerdy, pop culture-focused shows. Lots of video yeah. games, movies, TV, books. Uh, some other comics podcasts, too. Yeah. So we are excited to be there and to join the family and want to thank them for having us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Now we're going to, you know, earn our keep by talking about a whole shitload of comics. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot. A big part of that is because I didn't make last week, so uh, I've got several that I'm bringing with me yeah. forward here. It was already a heavy week, and then Brian added like yeah. seven more books. <laughs> All of which I want to talk about, because yeah. they're like number ones, or they're good, yeah. Uh, by the way, welcome back, Brian. Thank you, thank you, yeah. yeah. Thanks again to Tim for stepping in and recording... Uh, with no plans to do so and having not read anything in a while and getting caught up on at least a few books for that. Yeah, I, I got I got I got work sidelined, yeah. Yeah. Um sidelined, that's what it's called when they drop a piano on you, right? A metaphorical <laughs> piano. Sure, we'll go with that. Daffy Duck is sidelined as he accordions up and down from the ground. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. That's what we call it. Future State, hard pivot. Uh, we are going to begin with Robin Eternal number two in the Halcyon Days of 2025. This is written by Megan Fitzmartin with pencils by Eddie Barrows, inks by Abair Ferreira, colors by Adriano Lucas, and letters by Pat Brousseau. Darcy is one of my new favorite characters. I want oh, to start Darcy there. is amazing like she has to be in damn near everything that's that's 
that's Tim related now. Yeah, clearly I made a mistake by not reading We Are Robin back when that was happening, uh, which I'm going to have to rectify. But I do hope that when when Infinite Frontier starts up, that she is a staple. I do also. Uh, she is a delight, and I like I like her and Steph working together while Tim uh, trips balls. And beats ass, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Tim got a hold of some some juice that wasn't supposed to be used on people. Yeah. Um. This I think is the the comic book equivalent of well, yes, gasoline is alcohol, but not the kind a human should drink. <laughs> right. Yes. This goes in robots. It's robot <laughs> Rip, gas. Ro- robots. Thanks, John Hodgman. <laughs> robots. Robots. Anytime. Uh, there are far worse people to be compared to. That's fair. That's very fair. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know that I've got a whole whole lot more to add to this. We do learn that this uh, has a direct through line to the Batgirls backup. Uh, it does. So I want to, uh, I, I'm going to take a moment here because this is a good place to do it. There were about four books, and I don't, don't hold me to that number. There were several books this week that really, we kind of got the direct feed into exactly how they tied in or where, you know, we now know where they plug into another story that people are involved in. Yeah. Um, I I think it's a lot more realistic to like sit down and actually draw a timeline and put these books or individual stories, at least in sequential order. Correct. And I suspect that will continue through the month. Yeah, I think so. Like, yeah, we know, we know specifically where Steph's incarceration fits in now. Yeah. Yeah. Not, I will say this. I'm not sure why they think she's a traitor based on what's going on here. Uh, I'm wondering if it has something to do once she's inside. But we'll or, or, you know, when Tim meets her here, she's like already out of the game, so to speak, yeah. and has yeah. lost that eye already. So maybe yep. it's something that predates this issue. Could be, could be. Yep. Next up, in 2027, we have Dark Detective. Uh, the main feature here is written by Mariko Tamaki, with art by Dan Mora, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by Aditya Bidikar. This is probably my favorite issue of this book so far. Okay. Like, I feel like each issue of Dark Detective gets better and better. I'm also a sucker for superheroes being like, yeah, billionaires, billionaires can just go fuck off. I need more so of that. So what, what, what was it about this one that you like so much? I think we are established now into kind of this timeline for Bruce. Mm-hmm. One, like, I enjoyed the seeing, okay, there's the mystery around why he died and how he died and how Batman and all that. But that is prologue to me. I think there is a more... At this point, the more active surveillance state questions are are the focus of this book. Yeah. I also really, really, really loved seeing Bruce and the next Batman meet. Yes. Yeah, I, that energy between them was really, really good. Because, And I think what surprised me the most for, about it was was Bruce's reaction. 
right? Yeah, I, I... But specifically because this Batman is not someone that he raised as a bat person. Well, and a step further, like, the extension of that is anyone who he raised yeah. as a, a sidekick. And we're going to leave Terry McGinnis off the table for a moment, because Terry McGinnis is, is a separate set of circumstances, and Bruce is much older at that point. Yeah. Uh, anyone else who has been Batman who was raised and trained by Batman, whenever they see, oh, Bruce, you're alive, their response is, here's the suit back. Yeah. And that's not, there's no intimation that that will happen here. Oh, no, no. In fact, we know it doesn't, because 35 years later, who is still Batman? Yeah. Um. Okay, 13 years later. That was exaggeration. And that puts Bruce in a position where he, like, has this moment where he feels like he's looking in the mirror, but it's not him looking back and, like, having to having to deal with someone else carrying on his legacy who he has no not just no ties to but because he has no ties to really has no authority over right like he kind of can't tell him to stop yeah it it yeah. sort of it sort of changes that oh batman and bruce are dead narrative like down a thematic line into okay now i as bruce am actually having to to come to terms with no longer having this specific life yeah and specifically like the new batman right as far as he's concerned batman like i, I hate to call it the legit the bruce wayne batman the yes. og batman right is and bruce are both dead yeah right so he thinks this is just somebody else kind of dressing up as as the bat yeah and his line to him is stay home tomorrow night. <laughs> Bruce is like, yeah, I pretty much invented that line. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's, I have never seen a version of this interaction. Not that someone else becomes Batman every week, but sure. in all the versions of this interaction we've seen, like, this is never the way it plays. Well, Bruce is kind of, in, in a way, treated as the imposter Batman here. Yeah. And that's what's, I think, very different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it it also, I think, reinforces that time does move forward, right? Like, yep. if the status quo is always eventually Bruce will be Batman again, the story where, no, stay home tomorrow, old man, that, that becomes inherently something that is moving forward. Yeah. And, and again, the, the, the way he's treated by his landlord's daughter, where she, like, doesn't care who he is or what she's yeah he's just somebody that's causing her problems right now yeah yeah that is also great i like that character a lot i hope we see more of her somewhere uh, and the landlord too like he's yeah oh yeah <laughs> she's she is she is right on the line of being like too angry as a character but they're they're holding that right to the line I yeah think. yeah um i think i read a certain amount of just tired of the bullshit in it oh yeah Oh, yeah. That that makes it an important distinction. I agree. I agree. Uh, then we have Grifters, which <laughs> is written by Matthew Rosenberg. Its art is by Carmine de Gian Domenico. Colors are by Antonio Fabella. And letters are by End World Design. I, I really stand by, I think, the the connection I made last time, where this is just sort of dirtbag antihero Hawkeye in the best possible way. 
Yeah, that, that's very fair. And, and this time we even have a purple costume as yeah. part of the mix. It's so true. How about that? I, yeah, I, I love every bit of this except for one revelation. Uh, like, yeah, I mean, boy, howdy. I, apparently, apparently the Fox family does have some kind of grudge specifically with Grifter. Yeah. And I imagine we will see that explored in one of the Gotham books, if not Batman, then something coming yeah. forward. But yeah, some, I, which I mean, we, we know, but something has obviously changed all of the Fox's personalities. Yeah. yeah. But I think this is the first time where we really see this is true of Luke. Oh, yeah. Or the extent to which this is true of Luke. Correct. Uh, I did not. Did not see that coming. I did not either. I did not either. Um, yeah, I, I I can't say I hate kind of the reversal that they're giving the, the two brothers, though. No, I'm I am here for that. I think it's going to make for some really interesting storytelling, and I cannot wait for the the next Batman digital series that starts sometime this month. I think. Uh, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it's right at the end of the month. Yeah. With I think it's physical issues start coming out in April. Yeah, and I I I love Griff. Griff this was a a very very grifter ending as well. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I don't know why I like grifter as much as I do. I really can't explain it. But here we are. Uh, that lovable asshole character. Yes. Apparently. <laughs> then we move on to. Future State Teen Titans number two, also oh, in 2027. Boy. Uh, written by Tim Sheridan, with pencils by Rafa Sandoval, inks by Julio Ferreira, colors by Alejandro Sanchez, and letters by Rob Lee. This is still, I think, the piece of Future State, singularly, that I am just the most excited about seeing how it, it blows back into the current timeline. Yes! So much so. Oh my god, I love just about everything they've done with these characters. And when I say love, like, I love it from a storytelling perspective. Some of it I absolutely hate, but I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that I hate uh, it. We, we, I think, I don't think we learned in the last issue who the four horsemen all are. We see them in this issue. Yeah, we do. Um, I only recognized two of them. I recognized Wally, obviously, and I recognized... Roundhouse. Yes, Roundhouse. Yes. Do Do you know who those other two are? <sighs> the The one that's war that has the war helm. Yeah. Helmet, I swear I know that, but I can't for the life of me. I, I can't put my name on who it is. That's the one I'm like blue armor almost, with a T on the chest. I tell you who it almost looks like. It almost looks like Ravager, which was uh. Deathstroke's son yeah. that died. Um, I don't know. Or Thunder. And then the other one is very, very much looks like some sort of demon from from Trigon's dimension. Gotcha. Like it's got the four eyes. Yeah. Which is kind of that. Yeah. But yeah. So this one very, very clearly ties into Flash. Right. Yeah. Which we 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 got that. Uh, in issue one, but did. this issue also tells us the other direction this ties. Yes. 
past Shazam. Shazam. But we, yeah, I think we suspected that. I'm actually talking about further in the future. Um, but we'll get there in a second. Like, I think we suspected Shazam already. We did. We did. But this absolutely confirms it. But yeah, this what... is one of those that that plugs in kind of a missing piece to a couple of, and I say missing piece yeah. in that like timeline wise, right? What's the other far future book that this feeds? Um, it's Black Adam. Oh, right. Yes. Because yeah. Raven takes the four horsemen into her. Right. This is their plan, that Raven will take the four horsemen into her. Right. Yes. And then that Shazam will lock her in the Rock of Eternity and guard mm-hmm. her there. Yep. But when she takes them into her, all she can feel is unkindness. Right. The unkindness? Uh-huh. Yeah. Remember when I said it looked like Raven? Yeah. 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 Called it. <laughs> well, we called it. We called it in solicitations. And the last time when we got to that issue, we were like, maybe we were wrong. We were not wrong. We just did not have all the context. Correct. We were right, and then we were wrong, and then we were right again. Correct. Uh, yeah. Uh, the other thing that we get, I guess you could say some clues about, right? is red x like i don't think it's clown hunter now (laughs) no it's probably not like to some degree the lettering even gives that away because clown hunter is lettered in a very specific like all lowercase way yeah um um and just from some glimpses of what we see it does seem to be a caucasian person yes right um brown hair we get that but that's about it i spent some time thinking about like who the hell could this be almost like a ready brown too yeah um you know who you know the only person that i came up with that it might be who's that hank hall hawk dove oh hawk yeah Uh, don hall was was dove yeah gotcha yeah oh i see hank and don hawk and dove yeah that yeah that tracks yeah um, yeah, I could, I could maybe, he doesn't seem like as big and jacked as Hank usually is drawn, but I could see that maybe. I also wonder, I don't know, I, I, part of me wondered if it wasn't Miguel from Dial H, but it sounds like Miguel is dead. Yeah. It was a little ambiguous in the language, just enough to make me wonder. Right. Well, and, you know, maybe it's, we saw Shazam be split, right? Yeah. Maybe there's this thing where it's a character from the H-Dial that Miguel, so it's like a version of him. Well, but in in Dial H, like, part of that book was about Miguel being split, too. Right, yeah. Yep. Um, All of this is to say, the thing we have not talked about yet is, maybe don't hack the H-Dial to use as your own... 1980s Ouija board. Wow. Yeah, that clearly did not go well. Not the best judgment, kids. No. Can can I say that in this book, I continue my absolute love of Crush, though? Uh, Crush and Cybeast. Cybeast. See, Cybeast is one of those that, like, I hate, but I love... (laughs) But in that moment where uh, Corey calls Dick Deathwing and Cybe starts to correct her and say, don't you mean Dick Stroke? 
<laughs> yes. I would have called him Dick Stroke. <laughs> and then gets interrupted. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and and it, by the way, and, and point, in fact, is interrupted by the cyborg half of himself. Yeah. Yes. Grow up, man. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, Crush also got a booyah in here, so I will I will allow it. Yep. Um, yes. And and just those other those other new new Titan names are just Gorilla Greg and Chupacabra and Brat Girl. Brat Girl. All of them are so good. I know. I know. Oh, oh I love it all. Yep. Uh, Green Lantern. Future State Green Lantern number two. Moving forward to 2035. We have three stories here. We have the continuation first of Last Lanterns. Mm-hmm. This was written by Jeffrey Thorne with art by Tom Rainey. Colors by Mike Atia and letters by Andworld Design. And this is John Stewart basically out planning and out thinking uh, the Kund army that definitely has something to do with the Red Lanterns. Yes. Uh, the, the third story in this nods to the Kunds have taken over the Red Lantern homeworld or something yep. like that. Yep. Um, and can I just yeah yeah John Stewart was very very Batman in this yes yes in his in his thinking through the plan and having having what he needs in place for to react yeah. yes I did it thirty five minutes ago <laughs> yep and we find out who the their their God in Red is yep <laughs> which I was not prepared for no but it makes absolutely perfect sense the God in Red hair maybe. <laughs> it's 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 Orion. Yeah, it's Orion. Yeah. Uh, and then what had to be my favorite story in this one though. Oh, you're talking about the second one? I am. Yes, I I adored it. Like to me this is one of the best best stories to come out of Future State. Uh 100%. So this is, the second one is Dead Space. Uh the writer's Josie Campbell, artist is Andy Tong. Colors by Will uh, Quintana, mm-hmm. and letters were Dave Sharp. Uh, this is um, Teen Lantern, Kelly Quintler, or is it Quintler? Quintella. Kelly Quintella. Kelly, Kelly Quintella, yes. Teen Lantern. Um, at the kind of the end of the Young Justice run, right? Um, we find out that she was going to be brought before, brought to the Guardians because they didn't like approve of the gauntlet that she had and there were questions about it and how had she, how had she hacked into the the OA you know the power battery and so they bring her and her attitude in dealing with the guardians <laughs> is just the best i i particularly enjoyed uh oh which which green lantern was it who was definitely not a pokemon <laughs> kilowatt Yes. Yeah, I mean, oh. I I know that Kelly is going to be a main character in the Green Lantern book, yeah. but I would also 100% pick up a second title that was just Josie Campbell writing Kelly doing her thing, because, like, just the best. Yes. Yeah, they tell her that uh, they're going to have a lantern, one of their biggest and best lanterns, escort her, and she's like, who, Mr. Stewart? 
that weird dog thing that I've been told is not a Pokemon? <laughs> and the response is, no, I, are, are you talking about Kilowog? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, they, 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 they were thinking much bigger. Yeah. Yeah. They were thinking Mogo. Mogo, the living Green Lantern planet, yes. I love Mogo. Yes. And Kelly and Mo. so Kelly is essentially on Mogo, right? Yeah. Uh, and they are traveling to uh, a location where they can find out maybe where her gauntlet came from. Yeah, they're going to meet with Joe Mullane. Yes, correct. And on the way there, they have to pass through an area of dark space, right? Which is no big deal. They're going to get through it and, you know, uh, Mogo can shine green light and, you know, everything's going to be fine. Except while they're in the middle of it is when the power battery happens to go dead. Yep. So Mogo can no longer tap into it. Correct. Uh, Kelly's gauntlet still has a charge. Correct. Uh, But then also, I'm just going to say nightmare monsters start crashing down from space. Uh, and Kelly, who is afraid of the dark, is not having it. Nope. So yeah, so she uh, she ends up having to deal with some things on her own for a little bit, but then figures out by using a very trace amount of power from her battery, she can she can animate localized parts of Mogo, like yeah. like a plant of Mogo. We've we've and been he can talk to her. We've been doing our best not to recap these, but this is just like such a yeah. really great character piece. All these little exactly. beats yep. give her so much to do and let her be like funny or serious or whatever in ways that she didn't really get space to in Young Justice. Yeah, yes. Her personality is amazing and I love it. Yeah. Um, but essentially, you know, the, the important a part I think we're going to get to in this is so essentially I'm guessing the whole time that the main power battery is dead, it's Kelly on Mogo lost in this dark part of dead space. Yeah, that's definitely how I read it. These, these green lantern backups are interesting to me like this one, but also the, the first issues backups with, with, uh, guy and guy. with um, Jess. Uh, uh, Jessica. Yeah. All of these set up what could be their own mini series yes. in their own rights, and we just get the smallest taste of each of them. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: you could, if you, you know, if you go with the idea that Kelly is going to be trapped on Mogo in this dead space the whole time the battery's dead, right? Yeah, you could write a whole series of that. Yeah. Of what happens. Sure. Um, then we get our last story. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is called Recon. It's written by Robert Venditti with art by Dexter Soy, colors by Alex Sinclair, and letters by Steve Wands. This is Hal, I guess, finally getting off his ass to figure out what's gone on with the Green Lanterns. Um, going through space and just seeing all these, all these different ways the universe has changed which tim and i talked a little bit about this last week the idea that we both feel even though we've got very different taste in green lantern stories Mm -hmm. we both feel like it's time for something more grounded that's less about cosmic law and intergalactic war and all of those things and less less mythologized yeah and 
I feel like a lot of the details this issue gives us build this world where like, okay, or this universe where where it's like, okay, the Green Lanterns are not going to be like super welcome in space and aren't going to have the resources to really police space. So they're going to have to spend more time on Earth and more time developing casts of characters on Earth. Yeah, and I think one of the things that this one sets up that gives us is as Hal is like flying through different parts of space to get to where he's going, Mm -hmm. we get glimpses of some of these different worlds. Like you mentioned the Coons, right? Yeah. Uh, Have taken over, uh, I guess it's Atrocitus, or is it Atrocitus? I can't, I think that's the name. Yeah, that's Atrocitus. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, so they're worshiping the god in red. We see a, an attack on him by Larflees, the orange lantern. Yeah. Right, as he's going, we see a bunch of manhunters, like the robot manhunters, right, mm-hmm. attacking him. We see a giant mechanical squid thing, something. I don't know. Well, there's even a reference to to I think it was in this one. It was one of these three stories to the core having made some sort of sacrifice for peace and it's starting to erode. Yeah. Uh, and I really, I really get the vibe that the different beats that this alludes to are probably going to be the things that do happen going forward right. pretty quickly in continuity yep. to, to sort of contract where Green Lanterns are actually able to go. Uh, and then Hal finds Joe Mullane who yells at him for only now getting off his ass to do anything. And I love it. I love that energy. I love Joe. I need more Joe in everything, please. Yeah. Well, and I, it, 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 this one made me, I mean, especially reading it right after the Teen Lantern one, right? Uh-huh. And the fact that they were going to talk to Joe m- reminded me that Joe's ring is a little bit different. It right? is. In that it doesn't have to get its charge from the power battery. Yeah, it's it's self-charging. Correct. Which... I, I think is a cur- very curious thing with the gauntlet that Teen Lantern has. Yeah. Yeah. Which also doesn't, which also seems to still have a charge. Right. Yeah. Right. I think it's, it's, there's no way it is a coincidence that both of these characters have specialized rings that do not need a central battery. Correct. Uh, also, we didn't talk about it, but the Guardians are very, very different visually in dead space than they yes. are traditionally. Yep. Uh I don't know how caught up you are on Legion of Superheroes yet, but we see some guardians in it in a recent issue too. The, not the future state, but the the ongoing. And they are wildly different there as well, and we've learned recently that those aren't really the guardians. Uh, I don't think they look the same as these, but yeah. clearly there's something going on in the planning of like future guardians of Oa history. Yep. Moving on to Justice League number two. Speaking of how great Joe Mullane is, <laughs> our yeah. our main feature here is set in 2040, written by Joshua Williamson, with pencils by Robson Rocha, inks by Danielle Enriquez. Colors by Romulo Fayardo Jr. and letters by Tom Napolitano. Uh, I don't I, know that I was necessarily surprised by where this goes in two issues, given what number one seeds. But I'll be damned if I didn't enjoy the ride. I, 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 I was going to say, 
I don't know what part of this I like the most. <laughs> I mean, clearly it has to do with all of the character interact. I can tell you the the characters they have chosen to place on this new team. So good. The dynamics between them are absolutely amazing. They're so different from anybody that we have. Like, you, you know, you think John is, oh, he's just Superman, but younger and on this team. But he's not. Well, I think this is something Future State has done really well with him in yeah. particular. Is And it makes so much sense in this context why the first issues each of Superman and Action Comics are going to be about him worrying about his future. Yeah. Because so much of what we've seen of him is trying to find his place where he's living up to his father's legacy, which is important to him, but balancing that with the fact that he's not Superman. He's not fully Kryptonian. Right. He doesn't have the same life experiences. And I think it was, I think it was Superman of Metropolis last week where he even says, I don't really have, I don't feel like I lost a homeworld the way dad did. I feel like I've never had one. Yep. Uh, Which is a wildly different context for him. It is. It is. Uh, but I mean, you look, I mean, clearly Joe Mullane is very different from almost any Lantern we've had before. Yeah. Um, uh, Yara Floor is nothing like Diana. Here's the thing though. I do, I feel like they are all distinct characters from the characters who le- whose legacies they carry. Yeah. I was gonna say personality. When I say yeah. nothing like, I mean, personality wise. I do think, though, in sort of that DC working in archetypical ways manner, each of them fills the role in the math. They're all the same variable in the equation. Like, John is a different kind of Superman, but he still still wakes up every morning and spells out good morning Metropolis in the clouds. Yeah. He's He's still hope, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wonder Woman, Yara Floor is is like more hot headed than we normally see Diana, but she's she's that way because she's very passionate in the yep. same way that Diana is. Yep, exactly. Batman is still distrusting, even if now his distrust is rooted in at least partially in being the black sheep of his family, in coming through a police state which None of none of the the next Batman stuff has been explicitly about race. Right. But it's hard to read his his history without that being a factor. Sure. Um I mean Andy is kind of the best of both worlds of both of her parents. Yeah. I was gonna, Andy is surprisingly kind of the most what you would expect, right? But because she's picking from two different characters, she still feels distinctive from either of them. Yep, agreed. Like, I think there's a beat, the Mara beat would be, don't call me princess. The Andy beat is, oh no, they're the only person who calls me princess. Correct. And the threat is implicit in that. No one else can get away with it. No one else can call me that. (laughs) Yes. Uh, It's like Jin's Twitter bio. Only her grandmother gets to call her Ginny. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. Yes. Um, 
<laughs> I love the. It appears some people know each other know each other know know each other better than others. <laughs> yep, yeah, they do. Princess Andy here likes to talk in her sleep. Oh, okay. Um, maybe some brief spoilers here. I'm gonna say two minutes on the clock for us on this one. Okay. Uh, I'll I'll call I'll call go. Uh, but on the last page of this, the I'm gonna say on those spoilers. Spoiler starts in three, two, one, go. Okay. The Justice League is talking about expanding their ranks. Yes. And I want to talk about, first off, the, the options they have on the table here. One of whom I'm not totally sure that I place. But we've got Crush, uh-huh. The Guardian, Mr. Miracle, Tim Drake, Miss Martian. And do you know who this other character is? She's a black woman. She is. But I don't I don't know who she is. I don't either. But they're talking about expanding the Justice League having finally, you know, dropped the whole no fraternization rules. What do you think I, of some of these choices? I mean, I tell you who 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 I like. Crush and Miss oh, Martian. Yeah. I want I want I want Crush. Yeah. Uh I like both of them. I also really like the idea of this this looks like the Shiloh Norman design from Future State. It does. I like the idea of having him on the team. I mean, honestly, yep. all of these would be great. Yeah. Um, specifically, Crush and Miss Martian, right, mm-hmm. would give something that none of the other characters have, which is the fact that one of them would then be an alien. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which which would just give that one unique perspective piece, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I like I like both of those choices. It, uh, it also I, it would, has kind of the implicit promise that we will see more of this roster somewhere. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, the one that's really interesting to me, I'll be honest though, is the thought of Tim Drake. Yeah. With with Jace on as Batman, uh huh, and Tim on as Rob. Like, oh, that how does that work? <laughs> Yeah, because clearly he has not kept the Drake nickname outside of outside yeah. of Young Justice. Like that died in Young Justice. I, only Young Justice calls me that. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Why did you say that name? <laughs> um, that like to me that could be because like there's not the mentor mentee relationship in any no. like there's no relation really between them. None at all. But there's the still the Batman Robin thing, and I think pe- there would be some expectations almost in a way. Yeah, right. But it's like, it's, that it's weird too. So... Tim then has more experience as a superhero, right? <laughs> yeah, it's that's why I said that could be really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I don't like. I don't, I don't hate any of these choices though. Yeah. Uh, then we have our backup, which is Justice League Dark, written by Rom V, art by Marcio Takara, colors by Marcelo Maiolo, and letters by Rob Lee. This is actually set 10 years earlier in 2030. And the thing I think is, one, unique to this story so far in Future State, and two, so well executed, like, okay. It is no secret that if Rom V writes it, I am <laughs> buying it. I was going to say, I, I was waiting for you to pa- fi- find a pause so I could say, it's almost like that Rom V can write good stuff. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, it was always a foregone conclusion that whatever form Justice League Dark takes after this, if he's writing it, I'm getting it. And it will continue as a backup in Justice League uh, in March. But the way he is hooked back in this very, like, Infinity War, Doctor Strange way. Yep. There are futures where things go right. Not many. And this isn't one of them. No, this is not one of them. I'm buying you the chance to fix it is like really, one, really satisfying. Uh, just to, to sort of take the future state context and make it sort of diegetically, this is a possible future and these are your stakes. Yeah. And I think it makes sense with a magic-based team to kind of let them see reality in that different way. But also it means kind of like Teen Titans and Teen Titans Academy, Anything that happens in this story, we're going to have this specter looming over us of, oh, we're getting closer to what that reality looked like. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, this could be what what ends up if they're not careful, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I really, really loved this. It, it, it's almost, well, and the fact that, you know, there's so many possible futures and, you know, only a very few where things don't go, or one where the things don't go wrong. Yeah. Right? It's always the, yeah, so these are kind of being presented as, like, the most likely futures, even. Yeah. Like, you're going to have to, there can be a lot of effort involved to not hit get these. Yeah. Yeah, moving, I like it. Moving on to Future State Kara Zor-El, Superwoman, number two. We are now in 2050. <sighs> this is written by Marguerite Bennett. Art and colors are by Marguerite Sauvage. And letters are by Wes Abbott. Am I the only one that teared up a little bit at the end of this? No. Okay. I mean, that said, what was... Do you remember what the first chapter of this was called? Yeah, was it Good Boy? No, it was called Two Graves. Two Graves. Oh, you're, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, in the context of the first issue, it's the whole, before you seek to destroy someone else, dig two graves, one for you, one for them. Yes. And actually, this is, this is Two Graves Part 2. Part so, 2, yeah. right, yeah. Yeah. Um, but this takes that in a very kind of same but different direction. Yes. Uh, okay, can we, can, we, can we pause for a moment and just once again admire Marguerite Sauvage's art and color? It's cause... so beautiful. It's just... And unlike, I mean, truly unlike uh, anything else in the Future State line. Yes. Yes. Just these bright washes of color and oh Mm-mm-mm. and it's it's i think i probably talked about this last time too but there is something that is always really fascinating and endearing and interesting to me in so consciously taking a story that is about something like anger and vengeance and having to always deal with those feelings betrayal even in a way you know by family yeah and casting it against such almost serene pretty aesthetics yeah um i mean one you've got the obvious commentary on okay this is the expectation of supergirl superwoman being pretty and pleasant and feminine versus being angry and being you know, having vengeance in her and all of those quote-unquote male-associated feelings, which is bullshit, 
that they're associated specifically with men. But like it's it's I think a really I don't know satisfying way to sort of draw into focus how how all consuming that anger is even when you can never see it. Yeah, I I think this was a beautiful, wonderful, but poignantly sad ending, right? Yeah. 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 It's it's sad in that like life goes on and sometimes your legacy is just being a good example and you're not part of the world anymore but that the world continues is is on you in a way like it is your victory that you'll never see it's it's the hamilton line you know what is a legacy it's planting seeds in a garden that you'll never get to see right yeah there you go in this case literally a garden. literally (laughs) yeah Yes. Last future state for this week: Superman, Wonder Woman, number two. Okay, this goes. uh, I mean, we're not going to step through each part of this. I I, I love this story. I love how uh, how they allow it to tie the character interaction into the storyline. Uh huh. Right. Um, and I think one of the things I really, really like is how they're able to present this relationship between the two of them, Superman and Wonder Woman. Yeah. Um, and it's so, uh, again, it's so different from what Clark and Diana have, but it fulfills that same kind of like they each fulfill the roles that uh, of Superman and Wonder Woman. Yeah. Their relationship fills that same thing, but it's uniquely theirs. Yeah, uh, it's it's. I mean, it's like we talked about with Justice League. It yeah. is similar but different mm-hmm. in the way that you know the world in thirty years will be similar but different. Yeah, I think like and going back to the whole John is a totally different Superman, but he's still you know Superman. Right. My favorite just single detail from this is that there is a a like pocket universe that shows up like clockwork every day where there's this world being pulled into a black hole. And every day by 1030 in the morning, John has to fire matter into the black hole to push the planet back out. Right. But he can't destroy the black hole. Because then the planet just flings off into space and dies anyway. Right. So he just has to like once a day, wait for this portal to open fire an energy gun and then go about his day yep yeah um i i think their age the youthfulness of the two of them mm-hmm. it adds a lot of energy to that relationship too oh you're so right i had not thought about that but yes, yes. yeah like like they're learning who they are as much as they're learning about each other and yeah yeah yep i love it it's like the scene where yara is wrestling with one of the one of the celestial boars uh-huh. and like just cannot like she's fighting it and fighting it and john's like oh no here i've got i've got proficiency in animal handling also it's a girl <laughs> let me roll my d20 <laughs> yeah it's like no no yeah. you don't fight it you just you soothe it it's like yeah. oh you you they they are though it's like so much so much like two late 20 somethings who are friends just kind of like uh let me figure out how to actually function in the world, except the yeah, world may, is... Maybe, maybe even early tw- early to mid-20s, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in that in that room. But yeah, I, and... I was giving them credit for having it a little more together than early 20s. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. 
but uh, what I, I I don't hate the idea of eventually because I know there's going to be a push at some point to make a relationship between these two. I don't necessarily hate that. I if that's the case though, give it a long time to to work itself out. And yeah, just let it go. Right. I mean, as as soon as you started to say it, I immediately like gut reaction was no. I don't want to see that. Um, my point being, I don't I don't want that to be something that somebody writes. I just want them to tell stories with these two. Yeah. And if, if that, it happens, it happens. Exactly. Like, let it yeah. be kind of real. You know what I mean? I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. No, I I do think what you're saying is, as much as I, like, flinch at the idea, I think you're right that if it's going to happen, it has to be a, like, down the road. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay, that is not only it for Future State, but for DC in general. Okay, I do have to point out one single thing that happened, though. Yeah? And that's that John punched a son. <laughs> it's true. Uh, okay, sorry. I just, yeah. It's true. I mean, it's still no punching reality and bringing Jason back to life, but it's no, pretty cool. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. Can I mean, you imagine started, right? Yeah. Can you imagine the world in which every time Superman does something impressive, Batman's like, Yeah, but have you punched reality today? <laughs> there you go. I mean, to be fair, isn't that kind of what Flex Mentallo does all the time, though? <laughs> I feel like Flex Mentallo doesn't punch reality so much as flexes reality. There you go. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Like he just ripples his muscles and reality yeah. warps in in it it vibrates out through reality and yeah. it's, it's like giving reality a massage there you go. oh wow there's i don't i don't know if i like that or not there's our episode title though <laughs> giving reality a massage Ooh. massaging reality what's next on our agenda for today well as you were uh, digging yourself out from a shattered piano last week, yeah, you have brought to the table a handful of uh, mostly first issues of things. Yes, I have. And as such, in honor of our 250th episode, we are bringing back a return to Brian's Corner. Okay, here we go. Tell me about uh, Redemption number one. Yeah, so... Uh... The first one up is uh, Redemption. It is uh, an AWA Upshot book, which is uh, not a uh, a publisher that we've uh, I, I think we've talked about before. Um, specifically, the uh, creative team on this, the writers uh, Krista Faust. Uh, the art is uh, Mike Diodato Jr. Colorist is Lee Lawfridge. Letter is Steve Wands. Um. This is a story about uh, it's it's a it's an old it's an old west story. Uh, there is a town that is run by uh, the the religious leader of the town, who has the sheriff under his thumb. The sheriff is kind of his right hand henchman. Um, and we find out that in the past there was somebody who reached out who who fought against them her name is Cat Tanner 
whose nickname is the Butcher. Cat Tatter, um, as in there's more than one way to skin a cat? Uh, hey, uh, pot- potentially. Uh, it turns out that Cat Tanner is uh, probably about the only thing that the two of them are scared of. <laughs> um, she is an absolute badass. Um, and we find we have a character who is who has been arrested for um, uh, essentially helping a, a young girl have an abortion. Uh, because she was raped, and you know the sheriff and the pastor, uh, they try to whip a confession out of her, and then she's basically sentenced to death. Uh, so her daughter goes out to try to find Cat Tanner to see if. Turns out it was all uh, uh, a pretense because she has been leading a rebellion against the them in the town, hmm. an underground rebellion. And so her daughter goes out to try to find Cat Tanner, who nobody has heard from in years and years. Turns out that the, the, the they send out a posse after her, and uh, she shows up at this uh, abandoned gas station about the same time that the posse catches up to her. And it turns out that's where Cat Tanner is. And the posse makes the mistake of saying... Uh, uh, when she says, get off my property, of saying, who the fuck are you, Grandma? <laughs> <laughs> um, And let's just say it doesn't end well for them. <laughs> uh, and that that's kind of where this goes. But this is, the idea behind this, Um, there's, there's some back matter from Crystal Faust. It was about how, um, you know, there have been recently, there have been stories with lead female characters. With lead female Queer characters. It turns out Cat Tanner is also queer, by the way. Um, but there's still, I, I think, as she puts it, um, there's a, a comment some days about, um, yeah, I'm fine with les- lesbians as long as they're both hot, right? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, so I wanted to write a, something about a badass, strong female queer character who like had nothing to do with with being attractive or hot or like you know in this case she, she's old and she's grandma. Yeah, there's no but, objectification. There's exactly. no gaze. Yeah, there's, yeah. It, it, she's just yeah. She just doesn't play by the rules that society expects her to play by. Awesome. Yeah, and it, like it's super super cool. I I I really really like this. That's why I wanted to bring this up. So I'm glad super you did. good book. Yeah. Next up, you have The Last Witch, number two. Number two. I talked about this last, the first one last time, but I, I just wanted to bring up, and I'll be super quick on this one. Um, we really find out what's going on in this particular issue, and it doesn't hold anything back. It's drawn and presented a lot like a kid-accessible book. Kind of like, like the art style kind of reminds me of like maybe uh, The Dragon Prince from Netflix or that kind of. Uh, uh, animated kind of art style. Um, but the story gets quite dark. Um, there's very, very much Irish uh, uh, folklore influence uh, in, in the Fae and, and kind of and witches and kind of what's going on there. Um, but we get a, a much more clear picture of where everyone is going to fit in this story and what it is that they have to try and do. Um, just absolutely incredible. I can't recommend this enough. 
And oh. just uh, just to get it into the record, this is written okay. by Connor McCreary. Yep. With art by VV Glass, colors by Natalia Nostrenko, letters by Jim Campbell, and design by Grace Park. Yeah, and I very specifically want to call out Natalia uh, Nostrenko in this. The colors in this are uh, some of the best I have ever seen. I, I just love everything about them. So I, I did a quick look up to see if this was part of Boom's Boombox line, which uh-huh. is its kid-friendly line. It's not, but they do talk about it as a YA, a dark YA series. Yeah, that's fair. So that, yeah, that's, if you're that's listening, about, trying to place That's what I would present it. it as. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, to give you it, to get, there, it, there's a witch that eats a child in this. <laughs> like you do. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. Uh, okay. Uh, that takes us then to Orcs! Orcs, it, number one. It is Orcs. Uh, orcs! This is There's an exclamation point, Brian. It's not Orcs. It's Orcs! Orcs! That's it. This is written and illustrated by Christine Larson. Uh, let's see. Um, where did we go? Uh, and the design. So basically, Christine Christine Larson does everything in this. Uh, and then the design designer is Grace Park. Um, uh, this is um this is kind of big goofy orc fun. It reminds me uh like just character wise a little bit of um uh, now I can't remember the name. Sebastian Gurner, what was the what was the dragon book that he did? Scales, Scales and Scoundrels. And scoundrels. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, that is definitely the one I'm thinking of. There's definitely a vibe that reminds me some of that. Part of it's the art style a little bit. Yeah. Uh, part of it is the characterization a little bit. Um, we start out with this story about an orc that, that it turns out that a, a, a kind of a grandmother type figure is reading uh, to a bunch of kids that is about uh, um, Drod, who is an orc adventurer. Uh, Neil before Drod. The, the, the goofy... Uh, adventure that he goes on it's it's pretty wonderful uh and then we switch to like this orc uh, uh village that's like you know in a cave system and when like she passes by some orcs that are learning that are practicing for their band and uh one that's like carving all of these historical frescoes of telling of battles into the side of the cave and all this. Um, and then she mixes up some drugs and goes on a trip to the astral plane. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, and then it, it pivots and we see like uh, uh, a brother and sister or a, a mother and father w- with, a, with a young child who are going off on an adventure. So they tell their kid with the wolf like, yeah, someone will feed you. Don't worry about it. If not, then just swipe some food while we're gone. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, they get out and I, I don't want to go through step through step, but like as a, as a example of the kind of just goofiness that happens, they, they go into this orc wood. Oh, by the way, uh, their name for this orc wood is, um, the, and it, this is all one word, no spaces. The Erie is all hell woods, <laughs> right? Uh, they're after this treasure that it turns out is guarded by squirrels and i mean like these turns out these squirrels uh 
are now led by a general who saw the overthrow of the king squirrel in the past and beheaded him and now uh, ha- have deemed that no one is allowed to go into that grove on penalty <laughs> of death. Like squirrels and do. There's a couple of elves who are like, oh, we should go help them. And the other elf is like, no, trust me, the squirrels have this. <laughs> just leave it alone. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just big, awesome, goofy fun. I like it. And this is from Boom's Kaboom line, which is yeah. middle grades. Correct. Yeah. Yep. This was fun. All right. Next up, Spectre Inspectors number one. I really, really dug. This is one that I am. This is a Boombox book. This is one I'm absolutely going to push Jen into reading. Uh, no doubt about it whatsoever. Uh, it is created and written by Bowen McCurdy and Caitlin Musto. The art is by Bowen McCurdy, and letters are Jim Campbell. Designer is Michelle Unkley. This is um, Scooby-Doo meets a... Reluctant werewolf. <sighs> no. Uh, Ghoul school. No, I can tell you what. It, it's Scooby-Doo meets the uh, the Nancy Drew that was done a, a few, uh, about two and a half years ago. Oh, with okay. her and the Hardy Boy and the, and their little the, the 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 one that had kind of an animated the, art style. The Kelly to it. Thompson. Yep, exactly. Uh, it, 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 it if is, we're comparing something to Kelly Thompson, it, that's how you know it's good. Yeah, it it really really is. Uh, it, it is this gr- group of four four young young folks, one of which is like still in high school, I think even. Uh, the other three are obviously out of high school, and they do a, uh, a, a a podcast web series about investigating the supernatural. Um, they think they finally found it. One of them is like, well, we can doctor up some evidence. That's fine. And the other's like, no, we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it turns out they don't have to because by the end of it, one of them is possessed. Yay! Yeah, it's so, so good. I love everything I may have this. to check this out. I love the art style. I love the characters. I love the story. Like, everything. Everything in this is good. Awesome. Yeah. How's about Black Hammer Visions, number one? This is, uh, this was a really cool idea. The Black Hammer universe, you know, obviously has become super, super popular. So what they did is they created this uh, this book called Visions that is going to let different creative teams come in to write small stories in the Black Hammer universe. Anthology Specific, style. Yeah. Specifically in the time frame when they are in the, f- the world of the farm. Cool. If it, that means something to you if you've read Black Hammer. Yeah. Uh, this first one is uh, the, is written by Pat Oswalt. The art is Dean Cotts. Uh, color is by Jason Wordy. Letters by Nate Picos. Um, this is about two girls in town who have just graduated high school, and they are reminiscing about uh, a, a weird girl that grew up with them but then disappeared named Gail. And then a few years later, when they're in like eighth grade, and of course, Gail hasn't aged at all. So now it's her cousin, Wendy, (laughs) (laughs) who looks just like her cousin, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And of course, you know, Gail is like 
a 50 something year old woman or even more so i can't remember exactly yeah. what the age is but uh so you know she smokes and drinks and cusses and <laughs> and so she's always doing inappropriate things in school right i think i've got to find it but i think my absolute favorite is um there is a point where she does you just see her in front of her science fair project at the science fair and the principal is like marching madly down the aisle to go speak with her her project is everything dies things that die puppies kittens mom dad dreams love yes even you <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's been reading too much Jonathan Hickman. Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, but yeah, so it is, and it's about, it's kind of from the perspective of these two girls, and like, she has told each of them something. Like, one of them is, you're weird and different, and that's okay, don't ever stop being that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other one is a a little bit more traditional, uh, uh, and she tells her that you know at some point you two are going to go in different directions and that's okay. Yeah, and we kind of see that starting at the end of this book. Uh, Everything dies, even friendships. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, but it's uh, it's super 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 cool. I like it. All right, our final our final entry in Brian's corner. Fear case number one. Got to catch your breath there for a second, Brian. Yeah, here we go. Uh, this is uh, this is Matt Kent. Uh, is the writer. Art is Tyler Jenkins. Colorist is Hillary Jenkins, and the design is Patrick Satterfield. This is uh, this. I'm going to talk first about the art in this by um, uh, Tyler Jenkins and colors by Hillary Jenkins. This is very much like a pencil, colored pencil sketch style. Uh, or, or you know, uh, I, I don't know how else to describe it. Um, but you you see the the sort of pencil strokes in yeah, the art. Yeah, absolutely. Not sketchy so much as just like you see the way you'd see a brush stroke. You see, uh, yep, a pencil stroke. Yep. Uh, and then like backgrounds look almost very watercolory. Cool, right? Um, yeah. So art style is very different, but it works for this book. This is about two agents, um, who. Uh, they work for the Secret Service. Uh, so one of the things it talks about is how the Secret Service was literally the first federal police force. Hmm. It predates the CIA, it predates the FBI, right? And that their that their oldest unsolved case is called the case because it is literally about this case that turns up when disasters happen, either assassinations or natural disasters in some cases or whatever and as we go through eventually they are trying to track it down uh, when uh, partners come in to the thing they are given this case for one year at the end of a year they're they're removed and somebody else is assigned to it <laughs> so they have one year to try and solve it and the reason is because there are agents who have become obsessed with it and can't let it go and it has driven them mad yeah yeah i've got to imagine there are also agents who are like oh no they're hazing us yeah right oh yeah, yeah. absolutely like I, I just that concept feels so rich yeah uh so um 
there's one where they go and they they go to this house because they have had word that you know it was it was there right uh so they go to this house and they find this girl with blood on the bottom of her nightgown and on her feet and they go out and they find her mom standing in a pool with a knife and we hear the story of how her ex-husband brought her this case uh I'm sorry uh, her ex yeah her ex-boyfriend brought her this case uh and um was essentially she was essentially told that she had to give it to the person she hated the most within 3 days so it's almost <laughs> like a chain letter or but the ring yeah and oh, yeah right and you can't you can't open and look in it either right? yeah um so turns out that her and her husband have been having a lot of problems he's been cheating on her etc cetera, etc cetera. so eventually she gives him the case and that's kind of the last thing she remembers and they find the husband uh in the basement all cut up and dead but the case is not there anymore so yeah it's like we're obviously going to track this through but this is this is you know crazy supernatural kind of stuff cool fun well, speaking of crazy supernatural kind of stuff, moving on to Image, Homesick Pilots number three. Uh, this is written by Dan Waters. Art and colors are by Casper Wingard, and letters are by Aditya Bidikar. And I want to uh, start this off with actually a line from Dan Waters' newsletter that came out this week talking about this issue. Uh, he says he's, he looks forward to people getting their hands on it, that third issues are always interesting. A first issue sets an expectation. A second issue either reinforces or breaks that expectation, which means by the third issue, you've established a pattern in a direction. Which is a long way of saying, I think this is where people are going to start figuring out what we're doing with Homesick Pilots and what kind of book this really is. And I think that is dead on what this issue does. I think that's a very, very apt description. Um, we get a couple of new ideas, but uh, largely, largely we actually see what's going on not from Amy's perspective, but from right. her bandmates. And we find out, like, she's just been off sort of like, she's on her fourth or fifth artifact at this point that she's yep. retrieved and like a week maybe uh and the house is sending her away every time anyone comes to look for her well yeah because one of the things that we see early on is she goes to to see one of her bandmates while they're sleeping yeah and kind of has this moment where she you know vocalizes to herself uh and says yeah why have i, I thought you would have come to look for me by now but i i guess that was maybe too much to hope for or whatever and, and not realizing that yeah they have we find out later he's been there every day yeah, the house but lied every, to her. Every time he comes, the house sends her out to get another yeah. artifact. Uh, and this time she ends up in over her head. Uh, this is the other sort of new concept here. That The way I read this is like, okay, this is where maybe the Power Rangers comparison from all the solicitations kicks in. Okay. And where things kind of are, are starting to take form now. Uh, he comes in again looking for her she's been sent off but this time she's in over her head and is up against maybe something not from this house right and he finds the horseshoe from issue two 
and becomes that monster to go save her. And like, I think the idea of that is unexpected to me. The, the, them getting involved and sort of like powering up from these items. Yep. Uh, I did not see that coming, but also like now it feels like there's a lot of gas in the tank that explains, okay, if this is not just a monster of the week book, what is this about? Right. I never Uh, really doubted that we'd get that answer, but I didn't, I didn't know what that answer was going to be. Can I tell you that these monster designs though are, uh, you know what, actually I can tell you, I, I was struggling to reach the best thing I could think to compare them to but i i have 100 figured it out and that's grant morrison's doom patrol oh yeah that's a good i think that's a good point of reference i think i went to what did i go to in number two i went to like final fantasy like final fantasy bosses okay i think like if you take those ideas and maybe the power rangers idea and like monster design from that i think all of those are playing in the same the same space as this. Yeah. And then there's there's like there's one where she goes in and sees which I guess was the 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 ghost from the house that that's a design that kind of made me think of locking key also. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, what no, do you think about a lamp that shows people like shadow play of how they're going to die? Oh my god, right? <laughs> uh or the the super creepy one in here is the um it is a VHS videotape mm-hmm. that the tape comes out of it and the tape like wraps until it forms a, a silhouette of a human body. Yeah. And the, then the VHS tape with the two, you know, the two notches on the bottom are end up being the eyes Yeah, of this thing. It's like, okay, that is super damn creepy. <laughs> such, not such like great this. character design. Yeah. I mean, I say I don't like this. I absolutely love this. This book is amazing. It just gives you the most intense heebie-jeebies. Super creepy. Uh, Then we have... Everything about this. Everything about this book. Then we have Radiant Black number one. Uh, This is written by Kyle Higgins, with art and colors by Marcelo Costa, and letters by Becca Carey. Uh, I think I mentioned last week, like, this book having sort of a Power Rangers vibe to me. I had forgotten that Kyle Higgins actually wrote a lot of that Power Rangers run that I love. Um, And also, like, wrote Nightwing for DC. And I mentioned both of those things because I definitely feel some of those vibes in this. Like, this this is a book about a writer who's moved off to the city to become the next great crime fiction writer and he's had some short stories published and now he's driving for uber and like thirty thousand dollars of credit card debt has piled up and he's got 20 something bucks to his name and ends up having to move back home which if you know me and if you've ever heard me talk about my hometown welcome to like my greatest fear ever having to move back to my hometown (laughs) Um, and he, he meets up with, I don't know if it's his best friend from his hometown or just like, he kind of reminds me a little bit of like a, uh, oh, oh, what's the name of Wally's best friend and leave it to Beaver? Eddie Haskell. He reminds me of like a dirtbag Eddie Haskell who he shows up and asks his, asks so, the guy's so, parents. So Biff Tanner? No, he's better than Biff. 
Okay. Uh, he actually has redeemable qualities. Got it. Okay. He's like, yeah, can I can I take your son out and show him how the town doesn't suck anymore? You don't have to ask their permission. Oh yeah, honey, go ahead. Like it's that kind of like very yeah. Eddie Haskell. What a lovely ensemble vibe. Yes. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. Um. Not so much a yeah. I'm gonna beat you up and whatever. Got it. Uh. So they go out drinking and uh end up both pretty sauced when this like black hole void shows up and the main character reaches out and touches it and becomes transformed into this like sentai costume uh that freaks him out and they end up on the railroad tracks like they're both very drunk the 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 main character the writer sort of reveals yeah i basically just was afraid to actually submit and write a thing and submit and possibly be rejected. And I've wasted this opportunity and I'm here now. And that's when Dirtbag Friend kind of shines and, like, is actually a decent human underneath with the whole look. I don't know how you got here, but you've got this and that makes you... This is a new opportunity. It makes you unique. No one else has this. Cut to clearly an evil version of him robbing the bank in another town. Lots of kind of weird world building as background to a, a a narrative that is really more built on fear of failure which i think is interesting like i kind of go to those nightwing vibes because it reminds me a little of his nightwing run which was about nightwing having been raised to be the next talon by the court of owls and yeah. what was that legacy i don't know where this goes next but it is a a cool book and i think worth checking out also the art and coloring are really really great king and black roundup uh alex's corner (laughs) pretty much this is gonna be quick though okay um i'm just gonna hit the highlights here we had daredevil number 27 this was written by chip starsky with art by marco cicetto and mike hawthorne inks by marco cicetto and adriano de benedito colors by marcio maniz and letters by clayton cowles uh, the nullified Matt does his damnedest to uh, fight off Null's control in what is one of the most like clever and also horrifying ways imaginable. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in prison and knows that electricity will fight off a symbiote, so he puts himself in the electric chair. Oh, shit. It's absolutely wild um meanwhile electra who is in the streets as daredevil is chasing off typhoid mary who has been nullified and another woman who's trying to kill her child or nullify her child uh and just struggling with how does matt fucking handle this nonsense uh i also like the kingpin arc in this which is very much about like he has ignored the Avengers warnings that Null was coming and Wesley is like handling the PR for it. He's like, no, 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 you, you, you weren't, you weren't warned. You were given no notice of this, sir. Like playing just the scumbag politics of it. Yeah. While what Fisk is really concerned with is Mary, like threw herself at these things to save him. Right. And he feels some amount of guilt over not doing anything about it. I love the idea of Fisk feeling guilt. Right? Yeah. Like, how do you manage that, Chip? Then we move on to Fantastic Four number 29. 
Uh, this is written by Dan Slott. Art is by Zay Carlos. Colors are by Jesus Abertov. And letters are by Joe Caramagna. This is, I think, one of the one of the biggest explorations of the Johnny and Sky as soulmates uh, uh, arc since the team returned to Earth. And you really get a sense that, okay, this is not just local superstition from Sky's planet. This is actually something meaningful, and this bond does does have some kind of like inherent almost supernatural connection like mm-hmm. she can sort of instinctively know know things that Johnny will like and vice versa and Sue is not having this Sue like goes invisible to stalk them as they're going shopping just to try to find proof that this is like fiction and that Johnny is being manipulated. Uh there's definitely I think a beat in this that maybe maybe could be not for everyone. Um but that I found honestly really funny and very like big sisterly. He's like, "What? You've never done this with any of my other girlfriends going invisible and following me?" She's like, "No. No, I haven't. But you know of." <sighs> Like, this idea of Sue never thinking anyone Johnny dates actually has his best interests in mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, then the fight with Null breaks out, and uh, Sue learns she's wrong, perhaps, when Johnny gets nullified, and without a symbiote anywhere nearby, Sky is immediately nullified, too, because of this connection. Yeah. Um, I like the Sky character a lot, and I'm glad that we're finally getting some more space with her, because I feel like we haven't had a lot of it since they came back from her planet. We also had King and Black, Black Panther number one this week. This is written by Jeffrey Thorne, art is by Herman Peralta, colors are by Jesus Abertoff, and letters are by Joe Sabino. Uh, this is a, a one-shot... Um, that kind of splits time between Shuri and T'Challa, dealing with Null's symbiotes having breached the shield around Wakanda, and whether they can fight them off, how they can fight them off, and, you know, what, you know, what resources is it worth our risking exposing to the world that we have in order to fight them off? It's... It covers a lot of ground. It honestly reminded me in ways of that uh, that issue of, I think it was Marauders, where Storm had to go steal the sword from Wakanda. In the way that it covers so much ground and deals so much with like character and history, but does so in these really clever really efficient ways so that it never feels weighed down or never feels like it's too much exposition. Uh, It's really smart storytelling. Um, Also an army of Shuri's fighting dragons. (laughs) She has like remote dolls that she can pilot pilot and control like drones and uh, pilot with her consciousness like embedded in each of them at the same time. It's really cool. King and Black Thunderbolts number two. This is written by Matthew Rosenberg. Art and colors are by Juan Ferreira. And letters are by Joe Sabino. Uh, this is picking up where the last one left off, right as the Thunderbolts team, which at this point is down to just Taskmaster, Star, 
Batroc Zeleper <laughs> and uh oh is his name Mr. Nightmare or something like that. I mean the obvious comic relief surprised he's not just cannon fodder kind of character <laughs> you'd expect in, in basically a suicide squad book. That's sort yeah. of the space this lives. They have all arrived at uh Ravencroft to get Norman Osborne's help and oh, are very disappointed wow. that Norman Osborne is like chill and nice now oh boy yeah uh but he does have a plan for them uh and after they deal with the uh nullified inmates they he sends them to find the bottom half of hyperion to use as a bomb to take down null and that brings us to sword number three and krakoa i'm gonna argue this is more an x-men book than a a king and black book this week agreed yeah uh, but it does have some ties in and some context that has to do with King and Black. This was written by Al Ewing with art by Valerio Skitty, Ray Anthony Height, Bernard Chang, and Nico Leon. Colors by Marte Gracia. Letters by Ariana Mar. And designed by Tom Muller. Uh, first off the bat, shout out to Marte Gracia. Anytime you have a colorist, whether it's across a series or across a single book, Keeping things so visually consistent with changing artists, it is, I think, worth pointing out because that takes a lot of skill and goes a long way. Yep. There's some, uh, this was was interesting because there's some real subtle things that happen in this. I agree. I also really love, this entire issue is just about basically a single character. It's about Manifold. Yep um traveling across space and earth and back again basically uh and you're right there are a lot of really subtle things especially about clarifying his power set and Uh really really in the way that i think it gives him some things to do that are not just oh yeah i can teleport well uh, yeah like there's one of the text pages right is a uh uh, you know, personal notes from Abigail Brand that talks about it and that, you know, he's often just treated like a teleporter, but yeah. like, that's not what he is. And as she describes it, he talks to space. He is and, to space time as Aquaman is to fish. Yeah. And asks it to do things and like, you know, oh, can you bend the other side of the galaxy to touch yourself here so I can pass through and travel there? Yeah, and it will step. do that for him. Yeah. Or can you bend around me so that light passes around me and I'm basically invisible? Right. Yeah. There's a thing we see him do in this that's cool where he like has kind of the opposite. Like I guess I guess it would be like opening a tunnel in space. Yeah. So he can just peer an eyeball into a locked room. Yep. Um, but you think about that and you're like, that's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um but then, so because of this, there's a couple of things. Like, he goes and he visits uh, one of the potential uh, successors to the heir of the Stoat Crown, right? The, the Snark snark Crown. The Snark War. Snark War, right, yes. Um, but the part about that that's kind of the subtle thing is he essentially, on behalf of Krakoa, it sounded like. Mm-hmm is offering the powers of two mutants to one of the successors in the line. Yeah, it... So, there are... 
we get an explanation of snark war which is basically the snark leader dies and their heirs immediately know they have i guess snark sense and it tingles and they know it's It's, time to go to war with snark entanglement is what it is yeah yeah um quantum and snarkment there you go i like it um so all the snark siblings snark leader siblings basically are at war with one another uh, and there is one who has no planet. He just has a fleet because he's traditional that way. And Manifold comes to him to ask him, will you fight Null alongside us? You can get here faster than anyone else and you don't have a planet being decimated. Right. Uh, and yeah, he snarks steel powers from other creatures. And while there is nothing more sacred to mutants, it's worth a trade, and a couple of mutants have come forward offering it. And the snark leader's like, you know, often this will will kill the people whose powers we take, and Manifold's response is, yeah, they'd actually prefer it that way, it's a whole lot simpler for them, <laughs> which... Because then they don't have to go into the the Colosseum and fight for the right, right. to... To die, right? Yeah. And be reborn. Yeah. But he turns them down because having no planet means that Null is actually a benefit to him. Yeah, he's like, he's like all of my competitors have planets, and if Null kills them, that's great for me. Yeah. But it's, it's space politics. I love the, the space politics of this book. Um, also, feeling really good about that called shot from Immortal Hulk. When Gyrick showed up, I'm like, oh, he's going to be a problem for the mutants when S.W.O.R.D. happens. Yep, we called it. Lo and behold, he has been turned by Orcus, and the thing Manifold leaves the room a little too quickly to learn is that he's got a spy in S.W.O.R.D. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, for those of you who don't remember, Orcus is the one who had the mother, the mother, what do they call it? Mother mold? The mother mold, right. Right. That was the big sentinel, ginormous sentinel head Yeah, that was orbiting the sun. That was the mission that the X-Men team uh, went on to take down that I think way back in... Like one of the first, very, very first issues, yeah. Yeah, that sort of yeah. taught us about the five and... Well, because uh, the, in that one specifically, that's before we knew, right? And we saw several characters die. And yeah, we're like, right. uh, uh, what's going on? They can't be killing these characters. Yeah. And then we find out about the resurrection protocols, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because Hickman doesn't leave anything on the cutting room floor. No. Uh, I and love neither does we, Ewing. We get this very heavily redacted page, right? That's, first of all, it's very Hickman. Second yeah. of all, it's it it's very Krakoan in its kind of design too, right? We have this kind of flower with a central executive who is, you know, redacted out. We don't know who it is, uh, and we see three. So there's like the central one that's in the middle of the flower, and then there's three that are in kind of the light above uh-huh. it, and there's three that are in the shadow below it. Yeah. The three that are in the light, we at least learn the names of these departments, right? We have research and development. We have uh, infrastructure and influence, which is where Gyrich is. Yeah. And we have operations and offense. Then we have the central executive, which is in the middle. And then the bottom three, we, it, like, the whole thing is, is blacked out. We know yeah. nothing about what it is. Space politics. 
I love it. Oh, all ooh, so good, so good. Politics okay. and conspiracy, and yes, yeah. Moving on to X Force number seventeen. Uh, this was written by Benjamin Percy. Art was by Joshua Cassara. Colors were by Guru EFX. Letters by Joe Caramagna and designed by Tom Muller. Uh, I would call this one the mini deaths of Quentin Quire. Yes, absolutely. The cold open is basically just panel after panel of him dying. And, you know, we joked about enjoying it. And we joked about it being funny. And there is, I think, still a whistling past the grave element to that. Yeah, but it's but also I'm, kind of brutal. I'm starting to feel badly for it. Right? Um, That and then the other thing that we get from this is that Phoebe is way too good for him. Way, way too. I mean, Phoebe, clearly Phoebe is the best cuckoo. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But also maybe if he would get his shit together, he'd be good enough for her. Maybe. Okay. And and then let's be fair. Everybody loves a, a costume tryout page. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, I, so I, good. I don't know which of these I like the best. Uh, there's definitely there's the there's the pink and purple cable outfit. So many pouches. Too oh many my pouches. God. Too pouchy. Yes. There is the 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 pink and black Wolverine <laughs> outfit, as we call it, the kiss ass special. <laughs> I do like the sort of psychic claws in that one, though. Yeah, yeah, kind of the yes, I agree. Uh, the Glob Herman one is especially interesting. <laughs> yes, where essentially he's just naked in in a glowy. Yeah, suit. yeah, <laughs> yep. Uh, so much, so much. Uh, the one he's the one that they settle on for him though is is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why it is, though, but the way that Omega symbol across his torso is shaped, I really feel like there's, because it's just an Omega symbol, but the way it's shaped, I feel like it's almost foreshadowing, like, him stealing Magneto's helmet. Oh, and, like, I see incorporating that. Incorporating yeah. his helmet into the costume, you see it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I The other thing that I love is, and we find out why this is okay, right, is... He doesn't need glasses. So, <laughs> so the glasses are just a pink psi energy shape of glasses that just are there. Yeah, this is another one for the, like, X-Men data page Hall of Fame. Oh my god, this is fucking brilliant. Quentin Quire's, like, genetic modification requests for the five. Every time he gets revived, he asks for little changes. So, right, one of the things that we, 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 and we knew this before, but it's pointed out again here, is that X-Force, because they are essentially like, you know, the, the covert ops team, yeah. of they have priority in re the Resurrection Protocol. Yeah. Um, that also means that they get to make special requests, and Quentin totally abuses it. Request 310, coloring his hair rose gold instead of pink. Request 311, coloring his hair pink instead of rose gold. Um, let's see. He wants uh, specific parts of his face to come back without hair follicles so he doesn't have to shave. And also the rest of his body so he doesn't have to wax. Correct. <laughs> Adjusting his eyes to secure 2020 vision acuity, making glasses a mere accessory. Yeah. <laughs> like, everything is like, yep, okay, this is like the most Quentin, yes? 
so that's the fun part of this book. The horrifying part of this book is there is a series of like false narratives being developed against Krakoa that are escalating to, in this issue, a cruise ship being staged as an attack by mutants. And everyone who survives it seems to think that different members of X-Force have been responsible. Up to and including not just Quentin Quire, but like Phoebe sees all of them have evidence of his having psychically attacked them. Yeah. Brian, do you remember one of the other big exceptions to the resurrection protocols for X-Force? If you go to X-Factor, what is the requirement in order to... They have to have a body. Not if they're X-Force. X-Force is an exception to that. We learn way, 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 way Oh, that's right. That's right. Because I, and I had expected for a while, like, okay, at some point we're going to have dueling X-Force teams. Right. Because Wolverine or someone has gone deep undercover and they think he's dead. Yeah. And we'll get like a funny, oh, here are two Wolverines. Yes. Yeah, we knew that was going to happen at some point, right? I think it's a whole lot more terrifying than that, though. I think it is, too. Because one of, or both of, I think, two things is happening here. I think, one, the way that, and we see, like, again, many Quentin Quentin Quire deaths. Yes. All the ways that he has died, like, he's been dismembered in different ways. Uh Uh-huh. A lot of X-Force members have lost body parts. Yes. I think that the, the, the... Peacock Man and company are saving those body parts, body parts, and Frankensteining them together, and might even have a whole Quentin Choir. Well, so there, and there's several things that, that that feed into this, right? We know from early on, right, that they took some of Domino's skin uh-huh. to graft on, so we know they're used to using body parts and grafting them together. Uh, we know that Wolverine's claw hand with his claw, right, was mm-hmm. on sale. Yep. And that the Peacock dude who runs there. the organization was there. Yep. So I, I think you're right. I think they are collecting pieces of them as they're able to. Yes. It's like it's like they've bought one too many of those Marvel action figures. Uh-huh. Where after you finish buying Scott and Jean and Logan and Nightcrawler and Mystique, uh, and Magneto, you've got all the pieces to build your own Colossus? Well, sp- speaking of Colossus, what I want to particularly point out, right, is one of the things they talk about when they go investigate some of these folks, one of them is, like, he gets a vision that he was killed by Wolverine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, the, but, like, this pattern, the, the claw markings are too far apart for, for Logan, right? Yeah. And they know Logan wasn't there. One of them uh, he was crushed by Cyclops, but we know Cyclops was somewhere else at the time. Well, and also uh, all of the, like, visions of these characters, uh-huh. like, they're nightmarish, and okay, yes, they're, that could just be trauma, but especially the Quentin Choir one, yeah. looks like it's stitched together, like, the eyes don't match each other. Correct. The and hairline, the hairline actually has literal stitching alongside it and my point to this is i don't think they're going to have a whole quentin choir 
I think they're making one creature out of all of these parts. You think they're building like one Frankenstein with a bunch of X-Men parts and not an entire Frankenstein X-Force. Correct. I think it's a whole Frankenstein X-Force. We'll see. We'll see. Um, Because we even see like later in the issue, a few pages later, uh, Phoebe has spied on Healer doing the autopsy on Quentin's corpse and like he's missing his head in that yeah yep well and and then at the end we see a shot of the peacock man with like a tank with several a couple of hearts in it and several hands floating in a different tank and Random like all feet. these body parts yeah all super creepy i'm looking at these other deaths real quick to see what oh no, what missing the, by body the way parts. my favorite of them has to be the acid bath bomb yes that that one is perfect as, as someone whose daughter uh often uses bath bombs like that one just that was a lot yeah Yeah, they maybe they don't all involve him being ripped apart but many of them do yeah and that brings us to excalibur number 18 written by teeny howard art by marcus toe colors by eric arseniega letters by ariana mar and designed by tom muller speaking of clones running around um Nobody is totally sure, totally believes that the Betsy who has returned is in fact Betsy. And they all kind of split up to investigate in different ways, right? Rogue heads back to Krakoa after Brian and family show up and Brian is in agreement and then they all disappear. Uh, So Betsy heads back, or not Betsy, Betsy does head back to Krakoa, but Rogue follows her. Yep. Um, Gambit goes to talk to monarch to uh the other braddock brother jamie that's the name uh and learns that jamie and we we kind of knew this yeah jamie had someone it was sinister grow a spare empty betsy braddock body just in case and also still has morgan lafay like held prisoner which gambit rightly says this is uh not okay un- this is not okay and uncomfortable mon ami <laughs> yeah can, can, can i just say how much i love marcus toe's art in this it's so good it's really really good like i i i, I love this his art style in in the depiction of these yeah. characters i i really do um jamie has misplaced the the betsy betsy double and richter who goes with rogue is like really really deep into the uh apocalypse magic well well we find out that he is the heir of all of apocalypse's magical yes research um which like i'm really into this idea of because we've talked about how so many books seem to have different takes on combining powers we've seen the five uh-huh. we've seen in sword the six yep new mutants talks about battle tactics how sort of the original example of combining powers is the fastball special and we want to train you guys to learn to mix and match and build off of each other's powers uh-huh like i like the idea that okay no this is what magic is it's just we have special powers and if we use them the right way we can change the world yep and we are more powerful when we combine these and and work as a system yeah yes collective bargaining 
Um, like there are a lot of moving parts here and I think they all work really well. I was also super surprised, surprised and not surprised. Like there was a part of me that said, oh, the alternate universe version of this character is up to something. Maybe, maybe swapped bodies or something. Maybe. But did something when she sent Betsy back. I did not expect, though, to see the, like, 616 Krakoan uh, answer to Quan and Psylocke show up and help investigate. Yeah. Like, it's, well, and I think, like, at the end of this, I was like, oh. Because they talk about (laughs) several times in this, right? Rogue is like, I can't believe I don't know her better than this, you know, yeah. da, 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 da. and then Brian is like, nobody knows her more better than I do. I'm her brother, blah, blah, this, all the other, right? And then at the end, we get Silent showing up and, every, and it's like, oh, wait, yeah, maybe there's somebody who knows her better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It's it's just so well built over this issue and the last yeah. that, like, it makes so much sense, but also it sounds like neither of us totally expected that character to show up correct in this book uh and, and uh, the, if you're keeping score next week we get marauders and cable yeah yeah uh i'm gonna be pretty quick with wolverine black white and blood number three uh all three of these stories i really dug we had 32 warriors and a broken heart written by john ridley with art by jorge forness uh clayton cowles lettered all three of these this takes my least one of my least favorite wolverine story types (laughs) there are basically two ways to wolf me two ways to lose me in wolverine uh you lose me by just digging so deep into the weapon x special ops mind wipe stuff right which the last issue of wolverine did really effectively in a way i loved yep or you lose me by doing the you know white guy goes to japan and becomes samurai storyline which this does and does really really well (laughs) um john ridley john ridley john ridley can write a damn good comic if Uh if we've learned anything so far in the last couple of months john ridley is great at what he does and what he does is very nice (laughs) i love that that's beautiful um this is this is about Wolverine and uh uh oh his wife Mariko. Thank you. Um, having to fight off a bunch of warriors to save the, I think it's her niece who they adopted, and then like both kind of started dealing with their own shit and sent off to boarding school from the Silver Samurai. And I don't want to say anything more than that about it, but it is a really, really beautiful story. Both in its writing and in Jorge Fornes's art. Oh my god. I love Jorge Fornes. Uh, the second one is called Burn. This was written by Donnie Cates with art by Chris Bacalo. Cosmic Ghost Rider has gone back in time to visit a bar on the night of what in the future of his timeline or his past, but Wolverine's future, right? Wolverine has told at game night the story of an epic fight with Juggernaut so many times that Frank has to just come watch it. And in coming to watch it, he totally fucks it up because he's <sighs> Frank Castle. Um, so it's it's more cosmic Ghost Rider, but it's also fun, and we both love Chris Bacalo's art. So. 
Uh, no surprises there. Gorgeous. Uh, the last story is called Red Planet Blues. This is written by Jed McKay with art by Jesus Size. Wolverine bums a ride with Magic to Mars. Uh, Magic does not stick around for the whole thing because, well, she's busy and everyone needs her to teleport them everywhere. But an AIM offshoot called MAME. <laughs> Mars Advanced Idea Mechanics. Oh my god. Is trying to start a new human colony on mars that is very uh i'm going to say libertarian software engineer black and white we will have all of these processes and procedures and everything will work exactly this way like clockwork and we will be the ideal version of humanity and just to make sure that's true we're going to destroy earth so wolverine has to stop them it's it's just fun it's a fun like wolverine beats up some idiots story yeah. Uh they've got a big robot, it blinds him, and he's gotta figure out like how to fight if he can't see it, or it's also stealth so he can't smell it or hear it. Uh and then he brings Magic a souvenir when she shows up half an hour later to pick him back up as as scheduled. Um all of these were fun. This continues to be like some really great short storytelling. Okay. One last book. We told you guys up front this was going to be a long, jam-packed episode. <laughs> we had preview copy of savage number one from valiant this week uh this is written by max bemis with art by nathan stockman colors by triona farrell and letters by hassan otzman elhow and uh we've talked about some of max bemis's writing before he did a moon knight arc that we really dug yep. he also writes heavy which came out this week and which will be in is it still good i like his writing a lot uh, Nathan Stockman, I know from Ninja Turtles. Triana Farrell from a bunch of stuff. Hassan Otsman Elhow, I know from lettering like so many of the best comics of the last couple of years and also his his comics journalism work. So this is like on paper a no-brainer to me in terms of its creative team. Yep. Uh, and I really dug it. It feels very different from anything else Valiant I've read. Um, I've liked a lot of what Valiant has put out the last couple of years, but this does not feel like you need to know continuity in the way that a lot of their other books can feel. Right. Um, which even was, if it's which, just like To be a fair, character it was part history. of the design of Valiant. Right. Oh yeah, so, absolutely. Okay. I yeah. I just think there's a lower barrier to entry here. Yep. Than there will be for for other books potentially. Sure. Uh so Savage uh is basically a Tarzan style character. He's this kid from England who he and his parents were dropped into in this case it's a parallel world, an alternate world full of dinosaurs. And the dinosaurs kill his parents, so he becomes like the world's foremost dinosaur hunter and gets vengeance for his parents and all of that is explained and all of that has happened before this book ever starts he is now back in london and his brother who is clearly you know the sort of asshole who wants to just cultivate influence influencers and like take a cut of their profits is trying to position him as a social media influencer. And all Savage wants to do is go back to the jungle and hunt dinosaurs, because that's what he really loves. He does not enjoy this whole let's be in a costume dancing on a reality show just to be unmasked after we've danced. Or let's do commercials for whatever. And then dinosaurs show up, and he goes to fight them, and is much, much happier. And that's like, I, I, I won't I won't spoil kind of that becomes the hook of where the rest of this series will go. 
but i love the premise for this so much of just like here is a very like classically modeled pulp character dealing with all of the kind of most frustrating elements of contemporary society and like having to navigate that it's it's i mean it's fish out of water like it's it's a kind of storytelling that goes back to pulp too and i recognize that but it feels really fun and really well lived in here um i think the art style which is very like cartoony exaggerated also feels really different from a lot of valiant stuff uh, which again, I, I'm mentioning not because I haven't enjoyed other Valiant books, but because I think I think it's an easy place to kind of get into that line and sort of get a foothold reading it. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Brian, do you have anything else before we go to Is It Still Good? Nothing else before we get. Okay. On the bright side, actually we've covered most things, so Is It Still Good yeah. will be nice and fast. Let's start short. with Rorschach number five, Brian. Um, more investigation, and, um, our investigator tells it like it is. The worst art taste and the biggest comedian button. A character's taste in art. The art in the book. Correct, yes. I was going to say, let's be clear there. Love me some hardhead for Ness. Yes. Commanders in Crisis, number five, Brian. Uh, we see the fallout of, uh, the team falling apart. The amazing, oh. I was going to say. And what they're each kind of up to going forward. The Amazing Spider-Man, number 59, Brian. Um, maybe Martin Lee has learned his lesson after all. Eternals, number two. As it turns out, there are ways to make an omniscient third-person narrator also an unreliable narrator. And this is one of the best of those ways. Oh, boy. I went into this book with no expectations, but it is quickly becoming one of the things I look forward to the most. Yeah. Taskmaster, number three. Uh, Taskmaster has moved on to Korea. He is continuing with his attempt to learn the body language of various super spies who he needs to help Nick Fury investigate Maria Hill's murder. And, uh, well, one... Never take genetic modifications from Taskmaster if offered. And two, if you're going to borrow an Ant-Man Pym Particle rig from Nick Fury, make sure he gives you one that works. Oops. Love that book. Uh, Heavy number five. Uh, This is the other Max Bemis book this week. Uh, This ends our first arc. And our our team of heavies gets its newest member, which is uh, something that has made me very excited for Arc 2. I'm just going to put it that way. Okay. Uh, and then finally, Wasted Space number 19. Uh, Billy remains just the biggest asshole in the universe, uh, except for, you know, God. So, the second biggest. That really was quick. Okay. It was, yeah. But that's not all, folks. Uh, <laughs> If you listened last week, you may recall I committed myself to a long box book report. 
It's uh, long box book report. It's long box book report. And as it turns out, when I predicted last week what this book would be, I was right. It is a hard knock life. Uh, this is Marvel Super Special number 23, the comic book adaptation of the movie adaptation of the musical adaptation of the comic strip annie uh this was adapted by tom defalco penciled by win mortimer inked by vince coletta colored by george russos and marie severin and the uh backup material the articles back matter the articles were written by david anthony craft if you had to have me name a short list of musicals that i never had to hear again it would include the following Godspell, uh, Annie, Dear Evan Hansen, um, Pippin. I will say this, this was preferable to watching Annie. <laughs> um, That's high praise. <laughs> Leaping Lizards. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, like, high praise, like leaping over a stick. That was a hard part of, to, to beat, huh? I mean, okay, I actually do have good things to say about this. And there is something about reading this in comic book format that has made some weird connections in my head that does have me rethinking, well, what is workable about Annie? Uh, First, like, the writing in this, which is, I'm sure, working from the script, reads really well. Okay. Um, The only sort of weird moments in it are when there is a line that is clearly modeled on a lyric from a song. But to make it sound like language humans would say out loud, the lyric has been rearranged. And I hit it and I'm like, okay, um, I know this lyric, but I know it backwards. And it's going to take me like an extra second or two to move past this because I have to have to like reconcile that against, you know, the cognitive dissonance, I guess. Um. Those moments are few and far between, but they are there, and they are, I don't know, as someone who maybe just knows musicals too well, weird. The other glaring thing about this, before I get into what I think is actually really well done, uh, is it, and it's the source materials issue, there are just some wildly problematic depictions of, uh, I can't even tell you if he's supposed to be Indian or generally South Asian, but the the uh character who wears a turban and uh talks in cliche and does physics defying magic uh-huh. definitely uh feels dated in ways that are bad. Um those things aside, I actually think the art in this is is really charming um it is doing its best not to look like the actual little orphan annie comic strip um and it's clearly doing its best to reference shots from the movie and make it feel familiar in that way but without like wanting to look exactly 100 percent like that like it splits the uprights of everything it's referencing i think really effectively um but here is here is what reading this as a comic has done to me one daddy warbucks is the worst in exactly the same ways that lex luthor is the worst i am now going to pitch you annie as an alternate universe version of superman in which superman does not exist okay 
Lois Lane is working as Lex Luthor's assistant and decides the best way to rehab his image is to adopt a kid, or at least for a week, borrow an orphan. And that orphan is a young gender-swapped Jimmy Olsen. And Lex goes with this because young gender-swapped Jimmy Olsen, who we're going to call Annie, has convinced Lois Lane to wear her hair down instead of up. And suddenly, Lex Luthor thinks she is attractive. So yes, I will, in fact, take an orphan because I think you're attractive. And I'll never mention this to you again, Lois. <laughs> Annie is what happens when Mark Russell writes a Depression-era Superman story without Superman in Sir, Sir, you have done it. That is amazing. Thanks again to the masked figure who leaves uh, uh, terrifying cutout notes on my doorstep, by which I mean listener Darren, who emails me these challenges periodically. Thanks, Darren. Uh, That was worth it. That was. (laughs) I mean, for me, especially, because I didn't read it. (laughs) I mean, hey, look, recontextualizing Annie in that way may be worth it for me. Who knows? Someday I may have have to do Annie. Also, uh just quick quick moment of appreciation for carol burnett whose existence is so transcendent that even even without this explicitly looking like her and just being the script she was given i can't not read some of these lines in carol burnett's voice yeah so indelibly does she own miss hannigan indeed okay this week's books more future state catwoman number two from rom v and otto schmidt yep Immortal Wonder Woman number two, with a main story by Michael W. Conrad, Becky Cloonan, and Jin Bartell, and a Nubia backup by L.L. McKinney, Aletha Martinez, and Mark Morales. Nightwing number two, by Andrew Constant and Nicholas Scott. Shazam number two, by Tim Sheridan and Eduardo Pansica. Superman Worlds of War number two, with a main feature by Philip Kennedy Johnson and Mikkel Hanin. A Midnighter story by Michael W. Conrad, Becky Cloonan, and Gleb Melnikov. A Black Racer story by Jeremy Adams and Sia Oum. A Mr. Miracle story by Brandon Easton and Valentin Delandro. And The Next Batman number four, with a main story by John Ridley and Laura Braga. A Batgirl story by Vita Ayala and Aneke. And a Gotham City Siren story by Paula Sevenbergen and Emanuela Lupacino. Wanting all those. Yep. Brian, tell yep. me about Truth and Justice number one. So this is a uh, digital first uh, anthology book uh, that has come out. Uh, the first issue is going to have uh, uh, some Vixen in it, and this is uh, basically this is the print version that's coming out this week, collected version. Yeah. We also have coming out this week the Immortal Hulk Flatline, which is a one shot written and drawn by Declan Shalvey. Uh, I've heard really positive buzz for this from comics types already so i'm super excited for it and i also wanted to remind everyone about the picture of everything else number two by dan waters and kishori mohan um we talked about the first issue before it was released because we had preview copy and only briefly talked about it again when it came out but number two is out this week so I, again, give this my highest recommendation. I think this is a great book. Anything else for you, Brian? Nothing else for me, sir. In that case, we would like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. 
Panelology is a member of the Certain POV Network. If you're looking for other cool podcasts about popular culture, go to certainpov.com. We are still on the internet at panelologypodcast.com. You can still support us at patreon.com slash panelology. Get merch at bit.ly slash panelologymerch, capital P, capital M. Or send, send us questions and comments at bit.ly slash panelologymailbag, capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. For 250 episodes, go read comics. CertainPOV.com Whether it's Squirtle, Bulbasaur, Tepig, or even Oshawott, everyone remembers their first starter Pokemon. For 25 years, the Pokemon franchise has been delighting children and adults worldwide. February 27th is Pokemon Day, and in honor of this prolific 25th anniversary, your friends at Certain Point of View want to give you an ultimate anniversary crossover. Starting with Saturday Morning Confidential, let's rewatch another past podcast, The Serial Killer Radio Hour, and Fun and Games with Matt and Jeff will bring you an ultimate crossover event of your favorite certain POV hosts, as well as guests from outside the network. Join us for nostalgia over movies, TV, music, and the games that have inspired generations of gamers. We will even be joined by Pokemon voice actress Erica Schroeder and talk about her over 400 episodes on the series voicing some of your favorite Pokemon. So don't forget, check out CertainPOV.com for all of our crossover events starting February 26th on Saturday Morning Confidential and Let's Rewatch and continuing through March 5th. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform because it's time to catch them all.